Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and normally I'm with Jason, but today I have the special privilege of being with my daughter, Sarah Wager, who is a social worker in a Christian school. And I thought, hmm, we need to interview somebody who is a millennium, millennial. You're not a millennial? No, I'm not a millennial. Oh, yeah, you are. You're, the, you're like Jason. You're the same age. I don't admit to it. I Well, pfft. Excuse me. We, we need to interview somebody who doesn't admit to being a millennial. I'm who, a little older than a millennial. Well, aren't you at the high end of it? I'm at the high end. I'm at the edge, so I claim the other, okay, whatever the other is. For the record, before you accuse me of being a boomer, I'm at the low edge of that. <laughs> so technically, I, you know, I am, no, I'm like you. I'm, at the, I'm just almost a boomer, but I, I really am by definition. And you are a millennial by definition. So like it or not. A question I have for you. You went to college. You went to a Christian college, right? And right. What, what major did you take up? I was, well, I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology, um, and it was a double major with Bible as my other major. Okay, so psychology and Bible. What did you want to do with that originally? Um, I originally was in social sciences as my major, and I switched to psychology because psychology is much broader. So I wanted to leave my options open, but I started having an interest in social work kind of midway through. All right. Isn't social work and psychology the same animal? No. <laughs> All right. What, what is the difference? If I were to ask you, okay, social work, psychology, you talk to people, you solve problems. Uh, there are a lot of people listening right now. You're a Christian young lady, loves God, works in a Christian school. You're using your abilities in social work for the kingdom. So let's sort this out and see if we can't get somebody else excited about being a social worker and being a Christian social worker, whether it be, do they only work in schools? No. So psychology is really a base major, is what I like to call it. So most people who graduate with a bachelor's in psychology will go on and get a master's in something. Um, some people will take the route of going towards being a counselor or a therapist, and some people will take the route of going more into um, social services and social work. My college did not have the major of social work, and so I couldn't get my bachelor's in social work specifically, but I'm really glad that I didn't because psychology gives you insight to human growth and development and the human brain and um, thankfully I got it from a Christian college, which gave me a Christian perspective of that. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I mean, is there a, a, something that conflicts in your heart about Christianity and psychology? Not really. I think usually psychologists or social workers are seen as very liberal. And so it can be really difficult if you go to a liberal school and get that because you get a different worldview. Okay. But I think that God created us all with emotions and with um you know mental health or barriers that we face with mental health concerns and so i think god is the ultimate healer so i think that there's not a conflict between psychology and christianity it's just the worldview that you take towards right. it well uh, let me tell you a phrase that i like saying and tell me if you agree with it I, I usually say i really like psychology i like it because it exposes problems it just doesn't have any answers but it exposes the problems really well. So it says, you know, people, there's people like this and they give it a name and they do different things and they say, well, this is a problem now. Okay. And there might be some answers there, but who knows? The real answers come from 
God in a lot of cases. I mean, if you have a bad attitude, psychology isn't going to fix you. You need to go to the scriptures and understand how God made you and live within that context. But I really like the idea that psychology works out in the field and identifies things. You know, like they will say something like, narcissism is a problem. It's like, okay, thank you very much. (laughs) You know, we know that. So how do you cure that is another story. And if you're godless, you're trying to cure it without God. And it's not that all those steps would be worthless. It's just all of them are probably anemic because there may not be something that that, um, down the road there may be obviously obstacles because you're not getting to the final punch of what you need to, to get fixed. Does that sound right? It does. I think just to push back a little bit, psychology can explain a little bit about what's normal in like a grieving process or what's normal to feel. Okay, um, nor- normal, but the solution, normal to who though? <laughs> normal to, like, we're Swedish. Yeah, but everybody still, when you grieve, right. you're going to have somewhat of, of a process that other people have. Now, how you deal with it is going to be different depending on okay. on the solution, which is God and the hope that you have. So I so, think that yeah. psychology helps us understand, you know, human growth and development and what the steps are and what the typical steps are and things like that. It's where the, the actual counseling comes in and how you counsel people after what the biology explains or whatever right. um, is where it changes when you're a believer and where you can give true hope and that's what i ran into because i've worked in both secular and christian fields okay so when when you help somebody obviously god's word is the ultimate authority and psychology falls short when it when it goes either beyond that or doesn't touch it or goes against it and then you got to look at something else and say i'm sorry that that's where you fail as far as and that would be anybody though i mean a christian counselor doesn't use the bible that doesn't make sense either you need to be able to look at people and say here's how I can help you. Number one thing is you got to understand there's a God and he loves you. I mm-hmm. mean, that's like the basis of everything. Now, from there, there's a lot of variable. But but if you don't understand that, there's not much hope for you getting a whole lot better. You can put Band-Aids on things, but you may not be able to get really better until you have a relationship with God, which I think puts you in a key position because you're not only one who understands social work, and we're going to get to the difference in a minute, psychology, a little bit, uh, and the Bible, and then you grew up in a ministry here at Silver Birch Ranch, so you've seen things applied and taught, and you've had a lot of experience, and uh, remind me at some point to go back into that, but uh, because of that, you're able to balance things, I think, pretty well. You're able to look at things and say, well, I can take a piece of this and a piece of that, and, and not everything that people who are godless say is wrong. You know, not everything is wrong. I mean, have you right. found that out? I right. mean, it's like yeah, and that's what I think I was trying to say with the psychology right. is that some of it is is true, and I've seen it in my work. Of okay, in the grieving process, you're going to face anger and questioning and sadness, and you're going to go back and forth, and that's right. that's psychology, right? But it's when it, it, yeah, it's then moving it into a Christian worldview and getting the hope to get over that. So you're not trying if you're if you're using psychology or whatever, you're not trying to control people. What are you trying to do to them? A lot of what, I mean, 
and and now we're getting into am I a counselor or am I a psychologist? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Worker. I'm still on the psychology <laughs> thing, so we'll get into that. Um, understanding that and how the human brain works and emotions work helps normalize things for people. Okay. So people come in, they think they're going crazy with thinking this and going through this. Again, I'll just use the grief process, and you're able to do what's called normalization, which is saying, look, this is you lay it out for them, and you say. This is normal what you're going through. Right. And that in and of itself helps people. So me not liking necessarily bear fans, that's pretty normal for a Green Bay guy? <laughs> Very normal. Okay, see, I feel better already. You're not crazy. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> because I was starting to feel guilty about that. Uh, but, you know, it's not that I hate them. I just think they're they're goofy. They, they have, they're misguided individuals. So, um, But if that's normal, I'm going to go on with life and be very happy. Normal. All right, now, here, here's... Said by a Packer fan, by the way. Um, <laughs> now, I know you bustle a little bit at when, when somebody calls you a counselor because you're a social worker. Right. Now, if I were to walk into a school, and you work in a school right now. Correct. You've worked in a hospital? I've worked in, yep, an emergency room, okay. the mental health um, floor of a hospital, as well as a liaison between the emergency room and mental health floor, and then I've worked in a community clinic. Is, is there a lot difference between the hospital and the school? Yes, yeah. Uh, what do you deal with in a hospital if you're a social worker? So in the hospital, you're, well, there's a lot of different positions of a social worker in a hospital. So knowing that I worked in the emergency room, um, I was basically a point of reference for resources. Um, you know, someone comes in and they're homeless. I go into their room and I talk to them about it and I give them um, homeless shelter resources. Okay. And I basically refer them to agencies in the community for longer term stuff because you're just in the emergency room, hopefully once, but obviously the homeless are in there a lot more. Um, so I'm a point of reference to or for the elderly who come in and getting them in a nursing home or um, things like that. So it's just kind of a one one time contact and it's not a long term now, do people in the hospital, did they treat you as a counselor? Did they say, go fix this person? No, okay. no. They knew that I was just there to give them resources. So are there counselors in a hospital? No. Okay, so social workers but no counselors and they have to go somewhere else for that. Right. And you actually would have the resources to help them get there. Correct. Okay. So you're more in the hospital, you're more of a resource person that basically is saying, okay, you can't pay for your bill, so here's resources you can't. Right. You're homeless, so here's a resource. You're right. It's pretty quick assessments and you then need resources. A haircut, so here's a barber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or or another job that I did was assessing patients for the mental health unit. So I had to. It was really um, working with insurance and seeing if they qualified according to insurance standards. Okay. So we had our hands tied in some ways, where some patients we wish we could have admitted and we couldn't because insurance said they didn't qualify and if they didn't want to self-pay they couldn't go okay so back the bus up you you went to school for psychology you graduated from school college correct what did you do right after college um i actually moved to honduras central america and i worked as a a lot of things (laughs) um on the mission field you're kind of a little of everything but i went down to be a relief parent for foster parents in a um kind of closed community where they took kids Um, out of the government orphanage, um, which is usually really filthy and awful, um, and brought them into a closed gated community up in the mountain where they had um, foster parents in homes of about six kids to two foster parents. Okay. Now, was that an experience that you value when you look back upon it? Oh, definitely. So how long were you there? I was there two and a half-ish years. Okay. What did that do to you while you were in Honduras? 
I think it helped me gain um, perspective on life and culture, especially with the Latino population, because, um, you know, obviously I was working with all Latinos and um, was able to learn Spanish. So now I'm bilingual. Um, It helped me understand that people who don't have money aren't necessarily unhappy. Um, And I kind of knew that already, but it was just, you know, living that life. Just because we live such a plush (laughs) life. Yes. Very good. So I think it was extremely valuable in my career. Okay. Now, when you told your mom and I that you were going to Honduras, did you find us supportive or were we saying you can't go? (laughs) Um, You were supportive, but you were very um, hesitant and nervous. Yeah. It took I mean, a few months. I just want the parents that might be listening to understand. Uh, one day you call us, you tell us, you know, I think this is what we're going to do. And it. this was after a short-term trip. so Yeah, a, a short-term mission trip. And you say, I think I'm going to go live in Honduras for a while. Now, Honduras has some reputations. Yeah, it's um, one of the most dangerous, maybe the most dangerous um, airport to fly into. Exactly. And it's one of the most dangerous capital cities in the right. world. And you're deciding to go there. You don't yeah. speak Spanish. No, I actually refused. I, yeah. I changed my um, major, f- or I decided to take a Bachelor of Science instead of a Bachelor of Arts, and the only difference was if I took a Bachelor of Science, I didn't have to take a language course, and I didn't want to take a language course, there you so go. I you, took Bachelor of yeah, Science. You didn't want to learn another <laughs> language. That's ironic, because today you're fluent in Spanish. Right. Yeah, so it's like crazy. But you, you, you told us, hey, I, I really feel this is what God wants me to do, and looking mm-hmm. back on it, you can see that it was. Oh, totally. And I knew in the moment, like I could, I knew when God called me to Honduras and it was one of the hardest things because I was like, I know so strongly that God is calling me there and I need my parents to back me up. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, didn't we? Oh yeah. Did you feel that? It's yeah. just the, the normal hesitations there. You've got, you've got a blonde young lady graduating from college who doesn't speak the language of the cult- culture going to a place you never even heard of. <laughs> and don't know anyone. And at. don't know anybody. And you're saying, yeah, go ahead, have fun time. Now, you know what, I mean... And back then it was different than it is now. Yes, it is. I had to stay for a year without coming back. Um, Cell phones were not that popular. There was absolutely no connection available for like FaceTiming or anything like that. So now the experience is a lot different than what I had. Um, You know, when I got there, I had to wait to get to a mission house to be able to use their landline phone to call my parents and say I landed okay. Um, Now it's a lot different. Yeah. Well, you know what? And your mom and I, we visited you once yeah. down there. And uh, I, I can remember there, there was so much tension when we went back to the airport in the city, whatever was going on, I don't remember. And we waited forever for the airplane in this airport that you thought any minute you'd get mugged in. <laughs> and, uh, and as we were there, we flew out and I was thinking, oh, I'm so glad to get back to the United States where there's law and order. That night when we got back, I was staying at a motel because I was speaking somewhere and our car got broken into it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? This didn't happen in Honduras. It happened in Wisconsin. Uh, anyway, uh, interesting story because I know that some of the people listening might be thinking, you know, what if my child ever comes to me and says, I really would like this experience? Um, it may be that, that you do discourage somebody for some reason. I mean, I'm not sure what the reason may be at this point, but uh, it, you may if, if the— um, I think if, if it's not set up properly, there's not a mission they're going to, they're just going out there by themselves. The, these are some things that probably will cause more trouble because they're not trained and they, they're not. When we went down to Honduras, you had already been there. Yeah. So we were okay because you knew what to do. Right. 
when you went down, somebody must have met you. Yeah, they met me at the airport. They knew what to do. You right. can't, you know, I think that there's always faith involved in any part of our life that's very important to exercise. But there's also looking at it and saying, how can we set it up so it can be successful the best that it can be? And you'll never get uh, where you're out of risk, actually. Right. And I think that's something that grows the faith of someone a lot. I mean, I look back at Honduras and see how my faith grew because, you know, you, you go down knowing no one. Right. But God. Right. <laughs> and so he becomes your best friend because you're you're alone in a sense, you know, right. of not knowing anybody. So he becomes really your your rock when you, you know, step out and do things that you just don't know what to do. Yeah. Now, you had been on a few other mission trips when you were younger. I remember we, we went on one to Ecuador. Right. And and that kind of is what fueled some of the yeah. interest. Yeah. Because you as an American child growing up in northern Wisconsin didn't get a whole lot of experience um, with third world countries. And right. And looking at them and understanding what they were going through. Some of what goes on in those countries – uh, would shock people who are in the United States, wouldn't it? Oh, completely. You know, I mean, what what things do you remember that just kind of you looked at and, and you said, "Oh man," you know, not that you were thinking that they were evil or anything. Um, I mean, you know, there was just a common sense knowledge: you can't use your cell phone in public, right? Um, because that's what they steal, and mine was stolen twice. Yeah. Um. So. You know, that's just, it's almost becomes normal yeah. and you don't buy nice cell phones because of it. Um, and that just, I mean, it just is like another day in the life. Yeah. And I would say another thing is, um, this is kind of gruesome, that's but right. you know, when there's, um, a death, a, a lot of times they don't cover up the body, you know, you'll just see someone in the street. Yeah. And so it's just a lack of human dignity, I think down there where here it's just i mean that would be crazy if absolutely that happened so um now is the mission you worked with still there yes and and are they still operating successfully yep and uh, it branched off to other ones as well i believe um it didn't branch off to other ones but some missionaries started their left and started their own yeah okay well very good and uh, i i would encourage parents and those that aren't parents listening if you've never been to a third world country on a mission trip You should really try and arrange to go at some point. And if nothing else, to give you perspective, because perspective is very important in life. And we who live in a first world country often lose it because we think when uh, we can't go to McDonald's because it's too late that, you know, we need to protest or something. So a little bit different world um, down there. Same problems, by the way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Same problems. You know, the teenagers I worked with are like the teenagers I work with right now. Yeah. And now you work in a school where it's basically Hispanic, the children who come. Yeah, right? it's about, I, this percentage might be wrong, but it's like 98, 99% Latino. Okay, now do you speak Spanish in school or do you have them all speak English? They can speak Spanish to each other if they want, like during passing or whatever. They'll speak Spanish to each other, but um, it's not a bilingual school, so we teach in English only. Okay, now uh, let me ask you that you know some questions because I don't know. Um, well, I know somewhat, but I don't know really. They don't know. Yeah, they don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, w- growing up in Chicago, Chicago has its own dialect. Mm-hmm. So if you're inner city Chicago, somebody's talking. If you're not really from there, you probably don't get what they just said, because it's, you know. Now yeah. in Spanish, is all Spanish the same? No, 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 definitely not. 
So if you were to say you're in um, a school in Wisconsin, in a major city in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. um, it, what kind of Spanish do they speak there? And did were you able to adapt to it okay? And what I mean, what did you learn? You learned Spanish in Honduras, correct? Right. How is that different from Spanish in Puerto Rico or Spain? So Honduran Spanish to me sounds like English now. It's very easy for me to understand because that's where I learned it. Um, it's like music to my ears when I can hear that dialect. And it is different. Um, they use a, some different terminology that you don't even learn in any Spanish class. It's a whole different um, word. So I won't go into it because it's going to be foreign right. to you. But yeah. um, I had – so there's not a lot of Hondurans in Milwaukee. So when I came back, there were words and there was a way of speaking that I had to change almost because – um, the majority of Latinos in Milwaukee are Mexican or Puerto Rican. Okay. There's some from El Salvador, which El Salvador speaks very similar to Honduras. So um, Puerto Rican Spanish um, was probably the hardest for me, although some Mexican Spanish can be hard. It's it's when they start speaking a lot faster and putting the words together. So it's like Chicago dialect for English, <laughs> where they just so. kind of, they shorten it, they, they squeeze it all together. Yeah. And, uh, and, you, and know, you say the bears instead of bears. Yeah. yeah. Well, English is crazy yeah i tried teaching english to some people in honduras and i gave up because it was too confusing i'm with you i gave up years ago too (laughs) but um so yeah i did have to change some of some of how i talked but it's just because you know every culture has their own way of speaking spanish and so to the puerto ricans puerto rican spanish is going to sound like music right and mexican mexican spanish so i've probably picked up the best um more like the Mexican Spanish, but um, it's always training your ears to hear it differently. Yeah, well, for the record, I still don't think Chicago English is very good. (laughs) Even when I hear it, I don't think it's very good. So even the students speak different. I mean, they all understand each other, but some of the words are different, and I've heard them talk about that. Yeah. Um, And the words are different for me, too, sometimes. So, I mean, even their words in English are different. Generally, you generally can understand, can understand it. it. Like generally, I can understand what the Chicago guy said. Yeah, and I and as working in a school, I've learned a lot more Spanish slang too. Yeah, but every <laughs> once in a while, I'll look at him and go, "Say what?" Yeah. I mean, really, you're yeah. going to say it that way because yeah. I don't get it necessarily. So that's an interesting dilemma. So it, it, when you uh, trans, when you got back, you spoke Spanish because you learned it in Honduras. Did you just learn it on the job, or did you go to school? Um. When I first got there, I went to like a really like this Spanish teacher came up to the ranch where I was working and kind of taught us a little bit, but not really. Um, And then I just kind of I don't know. I just kind of learned it. I picked it up through making friends with people and the kids spoke, you know, the adults spoke Spanish on the ranch, the Honduran adults. Mm -hmm. They were monolingual Spanish. The kids were all bilingual. So most of the time we were talking English, but the kids would talk Spanish to each other. And then um, I ended up going at the end to a language school on the coast where I just wanted to become officially bilingual. And so I kind of did it backwards. Right. Um, ended my time in Honduras at Spanish school and they um, graduated me. But with are the you highest glad level. you did it backwards? Or, or do you think you should have done it the other way? I'm kind of glad I did it backwards because I feel like my Spanish <laughs> isn't as formal or as choppy like I I tell everybody even the parents I work with today I'm like sorry excuse my Spanish I learned it on the street (laughs) and people kind of like appreciate that 
And so it's not it's not going to be perfect grammar as if I had learned it in school, but it's almost, I feel like, more authentic. Have you ever uh, looked at those programs that are available to learn Spanish or, or yeah, French actually, or anything? Are they any good? I remember. I used one of those programs before I went down to Honduras. I forgot about that. And I think that helped, too. Okay. So, so, so that's available to anybody. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at here is you, know, you were motivated to learn Spanish. Yeah. And and you have fallen in love with the Hispanic culture. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And so now you're ministering within them as a social worker in a, in a school that's mostly Hispanic. Right. Uh, you're able to communicate now. See, here, here's my point to those that are listening. When you grow up, if you want to call it growing up, you, you get to the point where you say, God, I want you to use my life, but I'm going to give as many tools as possible for God to use. So, I, you know, if I can learn Spanish and I can be immersed in a Spanish culture, and then I can come back and I can be used in a place like Milwaukee or anywhere in the United States, basically, mm-hmm. uh, to communicate with those who are more comfortable communicating in Spanish, I could do that. Yeah, and I've seen, I mean, it just has... I can't say doubled, but I just am able to have such a, I, I'm able to build rapport with the right. parents so much more easily than someone who has to talk through a translator. Oh, absolutely. And it's just been, I mean, the parents, they're so forgiving, even if your Spanish isn't perfect, they just are thankful that you're talking to them in their language. Right. And um, their eyes get really wide when I start speaking Spanish because that's another reason I'm thankful I learned it in Honduras because I have an accent that no one can really put their finger on. Right. It's not an academic accent. It's right. a, just a Honduran accent. Right. Um, that's well, I'd meshed. be surprised too. You're blonde and fair-skinned, and <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, the Spanish flows out of your mouth. Yeah. And they must be looking and going, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Where did you come from?" Yeah. And now I've done a lot of translating, so that's a whole different world too. In fact, you just translated our book. We have uh, for those that have listened regularly. Uh, your mom and I mm-hmm. wrote a book called "My Shepherd," which is on the twenty-third Psalm, and you can get that now. You can go to. Amazon if you want and get it, or you can go to silverbirdranch.org and get it. It's in Spanish. And what's the title in Spanish? Mi Pastor. Mi Pastor. So put that in, in, uh, how do you spell it? M-I, Okay. and then Pastor. Okay, the same way, Pastor. Yeah. Okay. So put that in, and you can actually go and get that book, purchase that book. If you know somebody who speaks Spanish, and you want to get them the gospel, you want them to have a book on the 23rd Psalm. It was fun being able to do it. It was fun being able to partner with Sarah and some other people mm-hmm. that you use. Yep. Well, so again, it's the networking thing. All of a sudden, we ask you to translate a book from English to Spanish, and you start throwing it around everywhere. You have a cousin in... Yeah. My cousin's a missionary in Costa Rica, and so I sent it to her, and she had some friends just kind of double-check it. Yep. Thankfully, it was pretty good as it was. Um, but it's funny cause my cousin and I are both tall blondes and we both speak Spanish in the same accent cause she learned it in, um, Costa Rica. No, it was before that she okay. was somewhere else, but it was the same dialect. So we trick people. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you fair skinned, uh, blonde ladies go tall. and be tall, <laughs> go down and enjoy being in a Hispanic culture. So good for you. Um, you know, you've been listening to a program, a podcast, if you want to call it. Uh, called Younger Older. It's brought to you from the studios of Relate365.com. And if you want further programs, you can go to Relate365.com and get them. We also invite you to go over and take a look at Nicolay Bible Institute, which is our college here on the grounds of Silver Birch Ranch. 
and investigate actually coming up to Nicolay Bible Institute for a year. Now, you went to Nicolay Bible Institute, didn't you? Yes. So so that's part of your training as well. Yeah, and I transferred credits into Northwestern College yeah. and graduated early because of that. So I invite you to check it out, and we're so thankful that you took time today to listen to this podcast. If you hang around, Sarah's going to be around for one more segment, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you then.